Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Dr. Glenn Livingston is a psychologist you may have seen in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, or the New York Daily News. He's researched the nature of overeating for decades, worked with dozens of Fortune 500 companies, including those in the food industry, and had a self-funded study with 40,000 participants. Glenn has been on Lifeology Radio several times and has inspired us to overcome our binging struggles. In today's episode, we talk about his new book, Defeat Your Cravings, which will help you understand why you have extreme food cravings. Welcome back to Lifeology. I am so glad to be here. Thank you, James. I am looking forward to this as well. You're always back on my show every, anytime, really, <laughs> anytime you want to talk I, about it. I want to take you around with me so you introduce me at family gatherings and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though. I do talk to my mom like, oh, I'm going to be interviewing Glenn. And sometimes she's like, wait, who is that? And I'll be like, the pig guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to explain to people what that is. But um, Exactly. Yeah. Not in this show. It's, it's kind of an inside joke. Anyway, so Glenn, you have done a lot of things. You um, have a history of and not only being a psychologist, a very successful psychologist, but you also, when you were a kid, really struggled with food cravings and overeating and binging. Give us a little bit of that backstory, and then we'll transition into your book. Well, if you went to the Woodbury Country Deli in the 90s sometimes, and you found that they were out of Pop-Tarts or pizza, the odds are that I got there before you. <laughs> that probably says it in a nutshell. I, at some point, I think I was almost 300 pounds. I, I stopped weighing myself because mm. it was too upsetting. Sure. Um, my triglycerides were ridiculous, and the doctors were telling me I was going to die before I'm 40. Um, oh, gosh. And I'm, you know, 59 now. Um, and I guess, long story short, I I approached it as a depth psychologist. I thought if I could heal the hole in my heart that I wouldn't have to heal the hole in my stomach. Mm -hmm. And that didn't get me too far. It, you know, it was a very long soul searching spiritual journey for 20 years, but I would get a little fatter, a little thinner and a lot fatter every time that I saw a new expert or went to Overeaters Anonymous or something. And then there were three things that changed my paradigm. Um, mm -hmm. One was that I was consulting for the food industry and I saw these hyper palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and excitotoxins that, you know, are engineered at hitting the bliss point in the reptilian brain without giving us the nutrition to feel satisfied. And that, that was a very powerful force that had nothing to do with, you know, what happened with my mama or, or her mama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a study with 40,000 participants that looked at some 
differences in food preference for people that struggled with food at, during stressful times. And I found some interesting differences, but it really didn't lead me to any type of, uh, you know, treatment or a cure, just like an interesting talking point. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, then I was looking at the neurology of addiction as a whole and food addiction in particular. And I saw that the feast and famine response, that part of the brain that says, you know, just hand over the chocolate and nobody gets hurt and who cares about your silly diet. <laughs> um, I, I saw that that's driven by the reptilian brain and um, that the reptilian brain doesn't really know love. It it looks at something in the environment and it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it or do I kill it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so here I am spending 20 years trying to love myself in when the part of the brain that's pushing my rationality aside at the moment of impulse doesn't really know anything about love. And so I, I decided that I need more of a alpha dog approach, like kind of be the boss of my own mind. And um, I would use hard and fast rules to separate my constructive versus destructive thoughts about okay. food. Um, and, you know, for example, I will never eat chocolate on a weekday again. And then if I heard a little voice in my head that said, you know, you should have some chocolate because you can start your silly diet tomorrow. And it should be just as easy. I'd say, well, that's not really me. That's my reptilian brain. That's, um, you know, I, I actually called that my inner pig. That's where that pig joke comes from. And, <laughs> and um, I said, chocolate on a weekday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And it, it would wake me up at the moment of impulse. It would give me those extra mm-hmm. microseconds to make a better choice. And um, fast forward. And those, microseconds are re- those microseconds are really important because, as you know, it takes less than three seconds for self-sabotage. So those microseconds are incredibly important to create that stop and think, to separate between with that reptilian brain and you as a per- as you as a person to say, okay, I, I can make this choice. I can eat this, or I can choose to focus back on the hard and fast rules of who I am as opposed to what that reptilian brain tells me to do. It's critical because the brain really wants to automate the acquisition of calories. It doesn't want mm-hmm. to stop and think. And so you need to interrupt that process if you want to, if you want to pattern interrupt and change your behavior. Um, yeah. So, I mean, fast forward eight years, as I was getting divorced, I, I, I kept a journal about how I fixed my own thinking about all the crazy things my pig said. And I turned it into a book and I had just no idea. It was, I, I think you were one of the first shows that I was on. Oh, really? And, and <laughs> That's it, funny. Yeah, that was like 2015, 2016. Yeah, it, it was. It, yeah. it just took off. So yeah, that's amazing. Now, now we've had a million readers, and people say I'm the pig guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> Let me ask you this though: so, as a as a clinical psychologist, here you are trying to use uh, many different methodologies and trying to understand this. And so, when you had the recognition or the awareness that it was perhaps this, uh, not perhaps it was the the reptilian part of a brain, that part of a brain that doesn't know, doesn't have cognitive thought or rational thought, how was that for you to realize that perhaps it was something different than what you originally thought? I mean, it wasn't a total surprise because, you know, I come from a family of 17 psychotherapists and mm-hmm. while my, my immediate family are very depth psychology oriented, my, you know, my dad was a psychoanalyst and my mother was, oh, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, they, they really wanted people to lie down on the couch and tell you about your mother and cry, <laughs> cry and scream and stuff. So I, I thought that was going to be the, the pathway, but you know, there's this whole field of psychology, which is cognitive psychology, that, which deals with um, fixing your thinking. And so I wasn't uh-huh. totally shocked by it. Um, I wasn't going to teach it when I first discovered this. So 
I didn't think twice about, well, this is my inner pig and you don't mm-hmm. have to, you don't have to call it a pig. You can call it your food monster or yeah, anything else really. So it just, it, you want something that at the moment of impulse, when you hear it talking, you say, wait a minute, who's in charge here? And yeah. you, you feel kind of grossed out that this thing is in charge instead of you. That's what you want. Yeah. Um, I'm curious here because many, I want to go maybe more of the, the personal standpoint and we'll jump definitely into your book, but I'm sure a lot of people listening right now are experts in their field and they struggle with overeating because there's many of us. I mean, I, I, myself included at times have found myself binge eating. And so many of us who are in these quote expert roles or in these uh, mentorship roles, et cetera, have that struggle of what we teach versus what we struggle with as well. How did you reconcile that as a psychologist, as you're talking to these people and learning this, how'd you reconcile that between you being the teacher, but also being the student as well? Well, I didn't really teach it until I'd largely solved it. Like it's, oh, okay. it's not right. like I would never have a problem at all, but I, I spent eight years on my own writing all the crazy things that my pig would say and why they were wrong. Mm-hmm. I would disempower mm-hmm. them, you know? Okay. Oh, okay. So I, I was pretty thin and confident by the time that I was teaching it. And um, I've also always been of the opinion that you don't have to be the ultimate expert to teach something. You just have to be a couple of steps ahead of the person that you're teaching. Yeah. You know, you know, like in, in college, I was the kid who I got everybody together who was having trouble studying for the test, all the kids that were to get D's without me. And if I could get them to get a B, I would get an A. But I was still, uh, I, I was still a student. I wasn't a PhD back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny for me. I'll, I'll, I'll teach certain things on the show and then I'll go back and, and review it. I'm like, oh, that's really good. I should try that. And I'm like, wait a minute, James. You do try it. You do it. But perhaps in that moment, you forgot that you should continue well, to implement that. I as mean, well. dialogue facilitates learning, right? And if you're, yes, if you're put does. in the position of the authority, you can't help but grow from, you yes. know, grow to meet that ex- those expectations. So I think that's definitely happened over the years. Yes. So we're talking about the cognitive behavioral therapy. In other words, how your thoughts influence your your behaviors. So transitioning to your book, Defeat Your Cravings, tell us more about that. Well, the original book that got so popular, and I wrote seven more after that, but the the original series was really focused on cognitive techniques to to fix your thinking about food. And I still see that as essential because – when you have all these justifications in your head for why you can break the rules, it becomes really easy to break the rules. And you just go along with the mm-hmm. automaticity mm-hmm. that the brain wants to, wants to yeah. produce. Um, but the problem with that, that I noticed after working with about 2000 clients was that inevitably there comes a time when I, I call it a case of the efforts. You just get this <laughs> screw it, just do it response. You know, yeah. like you could spend all weekend thinking about the best rules to follow and doing all this food prep. And, and then, you know, it's three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon and you've had a hard day and you think, oh, I just screw it. I want a chocolate bar. I want a pizza or whatever. Um, and you, and, and I was very curious what was causing that response because I would observe that there were different times that people would have it and there seemed to be some patterns. Like it certainly happened when people were not getting enough authentic nutrition. I would see about okay. half the, I, I have this whole class of people that comes to me and they want to use the cognitive tools to have one meal a day or to do a lot of fasting. And, you know, there were a lot of medical benefits to that, but, but I tell people you can't really do that for the first four to six months until you really mm. get control of your, your cravings because um, 
you need regular, reliable nutrition going through your body so that the things that your pig says don't seem too viable. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you genuinely are starving or you genuinely need authentic nutrition, then your body's going to want you to force, it's going to want to force you to be less discriminating in food. And you're going to get that screw rate, just do it response. Mm-hmm. I see. Interesting. Um, okay. So, you know, the first thing I found was authentic hunger and authentic nutrition. You really had to do engaged in very good self-care with that. But then I started to recognize that like the brain really for these purposes has two parts. There's the lower brain and the upper brain and the lower brain is responsible for emergency action, right? It's, it's acquiring calories, feast or famine, fight or flee, um, you know, made or pass it by. Um, and, And, the lower brain has the ability to push the upper brain out of the way in an emergency. Um, the lower brain operates more from the sympathetic nervous system that gets us revved up and energetic and ready to act. And the upper mm-hmm. brain gets us more ready to rest and digest. It's the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system. And now a neurologist would take me to task on all this. I'm oversimplifying it. I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. Um, and so I started asking myself, so could it be that what's happening is that there's some organismic distress that causes the lower brain to activate this emergency response system. And and maybe it's a real distress, like you're genuinely hungry, or maybe it's a fake distress, like you're, you know, reacting to a person in the building who's not really dangerous to you or something like that. But but um, could it be that orga- organismic distress is really causing this problem? And so I started looking at things like um, sleep. Were people more likely to break their diet if they didn't get enough sleep? And that turned out to be true, mm-hmm. right? Um, water. I started looking at people's breathing. You know, if you engage, um, there's a certain type of parasympathetic breathing where you breathe in for um, shorter than you breathe out. And it, the whole thing takes mm-hmm. a little while. I'm not going to do it right now. Um, but you breathe in for a kind of seven or out for a kind of 11. And if a hungry bear was chasing you, you wouldn't be able to do that. You'd be going, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of signals to the brain that there's no emergency. We have everything we need right now. It's not necessary. If you act. do the seven to 11, seven to 11 count, you mean? Yeah. And so okay, I, st- I, start, I started instructing people to do that kind of breathing the moment that they had the urge. Interesting. Um, okay. You know, I looked at, um, Decision-making. I mean, you and I talked about this before. We were kind of onto the lead a long time ago, but it's only heightened in effectiveness for me over the years. Um, Willpower is the ability to make good decisions, and we can only make so many good decisions every day. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a situation where you're required to make decision decision after decision all day long, not just food decisions, but, you know, who's taking Janet to soccer practice and... Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with these emails? And what time are you going to have dinner? And I mean, all of these decisions. And it turned out that people that were not able to unplug from constant decision making had a harder time, um, harder time staying on their plants. And then I found some studies mm. to support that. So, so there was this whole cadre of things, and mostly they involve self care. Like it, it seems a little trite, but really, the problem is that. When the body perceives organismic distress, the um, the mind wants to be less discriminating about food because 
we might need resources to deal with this emergency. That's, that's what it really comes down to. And mm. um, I even talked to you, I think I had you on my podcast and you were talking to me about ways of recognizing when that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like, like I, I have a cognitive tool for recognizing when you create a, a very clear line on the sand that says, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again. You know, the moment you have a thought or an impulse or an image that suggests you're going to have chocolate, that that's your lower brain waking up. But you were saying, well, you know, there are changes in the body that occur. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you start to get goosebumps or dry mouth or your heartbeat goes up a little bit or your respiration or your, your mm -hmm. galvanic skin response goes up. And so you can start to be sensitive to that. And this, this was recently, so I've only just started experimenting with that with people. But it, yeah. it, okay. it does seem like that signal wakes people up a little earlier and gives them a chance to mm -hmm. intervene with breathing or yoga or meditation or water. Good. Or, Good. So, yeah, so that, that's what the new book is. The new book is like the best of the old book about how to fix your thinking, but then how to avoid the screw it, just do it response with, um, you know, with this various types of self-care designed to intervene with organismic distress. Mm -hmm. And and then I've also garnered a much more scientific understanding of cravings over the course of the time I've been working with people. And there are a couple of key things that I learned. I don't know how much time we have. I could talk about Well, more. let's just stop for one second because I may have to have you come back on in a different time because we have about six minutes left. But okay. I do want to ask you this. So there's there's a whole aspect. In fact, we'll have you come back on another time and we'll follow, follow up with um, as a, as sure. a second sure, sure. part of the show. Um, when it comes to cravings overall, or excuse me, when it comes to hunger overall, I mean, that's a very – everyone has different concepts of I'm hungry. And so – from a very basic standpoint, and I don't want to go too much into it, everyone's going to have a different idea of what what that feeling is like. So when it comes to hunger, are we talking specifically about the foundational piece that your body needs nourishment, or is that comes from the cognitive or the thinking aspect of, I think I need food? So I want to go from that and then kind of build off that for a second. Well, I actually have a very different position on that, uh, or at okay. least on how to restore normality with um, eating appropriate amounts in appropriate times. I actually observe, and this this comes from my experience with the food industry and seeing that they mm -hmm. have chemicals in their in their foods that can mm -hmm. okay. stimulate overeating and interfere with your leptin and ghrelin and prevent mm -hmm. you from knowing when you're hungry and full. I actually think that most people's hungry and full meters are broken. Mm, and, I don't think so, yeah. And and for a period of time, I suggest that people make more objective measures, you know, and they the kind of eat with their head when determining food volume and, and not pay as much attention to their, to how it feels. Of course you need to eat mindfully and, you know, it's always a good idea to eat when you're hungry and stuff when you're full. But I tell people not to expect to get that right, no matter what you pay attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the true hunger originates more from the throat than the stomach. I think that, um, I, I, but that's not really what I specialize. I specialize more in figuring out how are we going to intellectually describe what a meal would be? Is it, you mm -hmm. know, one plate of food, no more than an inch high? Is it, um, you sure. know, is it, the logistics of it 800 calories? Yeah, the logistics. And helping people to stick to that until they try to get a sense of, um, you know, when they're hungry and when they're full. And then they can kind of let go of that. Um, and I teach them that hunger is usually not an emergency. Um, mm -hmm. 
usually they're not going to find your bones by the refrigerator the next day unless you're anorexic or something. <laughs> and, 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 um, if you can learn to enjoy your hunger is a sign of mastery, um, and start to tell yourself that hunger mm. isn't, isn't an emergency. And that's, it's part of the defeating your cravings process. So decoupling the aspect of hunger is the primary hunger is the primary aspect of I have to, or the, the emergency aspect of I have to curtail this. I have to fix this right now. Learning to say, I can sit with that because I'm actually, it's not the emergency that I think it is. It's just simply an awareness that my body has that eventually I will need to eat, but I get to choose when that is. And obviously within a healthy time frame. but it is important to recognize that you don't have to be led by your hunger to the refrigerator or to um, any of these delivery, delivery, grocery delivery um, stores yes. as well. So yes. I like that. I like the fact that you can choose that. And I like the fact that it's a mastery of that because in other areas of our life, we have mastery of our thoughts. We have mastery of, of gossiping. We have mass, mastery of just even uh, whatever field we're in. And so I like to hear how you use that as well as mastery over, of a craving that your body has because it's simply that a craving. And so going back to the other aspect of you are in control of how your body responds as opposed to your body controlling how you respond. You can also grab your stomach or any other place that you've got some extra weight and say, let it burn, baby. This <laughs> <laughs> <That> is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I have read before when it comes to our body does struggle with differentiating between hunger, thirst, and sleep. So I know for me at night, and I think we talked about this on your show years ago, was I, I, I at night, I remember I always have really long days with when I was in private practice and I would come home and I would eat all these chips and salsa and like, like a big old bag of, of chips and salsa. And I'm like, oh, and I would eat and eat. And I'm like, James, why are you eating? You're not hungry. And so when I finally had that realization years later, I was like, ah, okay. And so therefore, for me, I know that late at night, that's going to be when I struggle because I, if I think I'm hungry, I either drink a big glass of water or I just go to sleep. And, you know, as we know, as I think I said this before, you will never thank yourself enough. <laughs> and when the next day when you wake up and there are no pizza boxes <laughs> in your kitchen because you didn't fall for that, that concept, that misconception that you're actually hungry when you're probably dehydrated or need rest. Exactly. Exactly. Now, defeat your cravings. This sounds like it's for everybody, every reader, every person around there. Is there anyone specifically that is this is for that it's a must read? As I said, I'm assuming it is for everybody. Well, if you if you struggle to stop eating beyond your own best judgment, mm. then the you know, this is not a it's not invasive surgery, it's not a pill, it's not liposuction, it's there's really not a downside and, and I'll tell you where to get the book for free in just a little bit. So there's there's no reason you shouldn't investigate more if you really want to. Um, there are some people who are averse to food rules. Um, I would tell you to read the first couple of the chapters anyway, because we talk about common objections and how to overcome them. But mm. if you still feel that adversity after you read that, then I would say that it's not for you. Um, sure. But um, but otherwise, it's it's a method of understanding how cravings work, that cravings are actually actually a sign of a healthy mind doing its job. Um, they only cause trouble because we live in a sick food environment. And once you really understand that and you understand that you're not powerless and you understand what the extinction curve is all about, how do you extinguish um, the behavior that cravings lead to if it's troublesome for you and it's all it's up to you to define exactly the behavior you want to engage in by the way i don't t i don't tell people how to eat um you know no that then it is for you i my earlier books were very specifically for 
um, serious binge eaters. But th this is much more broadly targeted towards people who struggle with eating beyond their own best judgment. And that describes most people these days. Yeah, I remember before there was, I, I connected with a really big television show and you talk with one of the producers and I think uh, because your your methodology and philosophy is very um, over, it's, how do I say this? It's more firm when it comes to differentiating between your person, who you are, and then also the craving. So when you separate between those two aspects, you'll see that they are two different things. And so to have be empowered to overcome that, for some people that can have a slightly different, um, doesn't feel as as nurturing or as loving. But when it comes to stopping cravings, sometimes you have to have really hard boundaries within yourself to say, no, I will not do this. And so sometimes, yeah, there are people who have different philosophies of how to uh, have a different type of boundary, but yours are hard and fast boundaries. And that's why your books and all the people that you've worked with and, and all the people who've read your books, that's why it's been so successful. Well, thank you so much. That's true. That's very true. My pleasure. Well, we yeah. only have a couple of seconds left here. So let's uh, tell my viewers and listeners where they can read more, or they can get the book, Defeat Your Cravings, and learn more about you, Dr. Glenn Livingston. Surprisingly, you could go to defeatyourcravings.com and press the big blue button. You can get a copy of the Kindle Nook or PDF for free. You'll also get a set of food plan starter templates. These are hypothetical rules for any dietary philosophy you might be considering. Like, you know, we, we, we're diet agnostic, so we can work with point counters or calorie counters or, you know, whole foods, plant-based people or ketogenic people. It, it doesn't really matter as long as, as long as you're eating a reasonably nutritious diet, we can help you to work with your cravings. Um, and I recorded a whole bunch of full-length coaching sessions because I know that you must be wondering why James has a psychologist with a pig on inside of him. And it's not, um, it, it sounds really harsh in the abstract, but it's actually a very compassionate coaching process. I wanted you to hear the transformation people go through. Defeaturecravings.com, click the big blue button. Wonderful. My viewers and listeners also know that if I can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and I'll connect you with Dr. Glenn, Glenn Livingston and defeatyourcravings.com. Once again, Glenn, thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. In fact, I do want you to come back again and we'll follow up with the second part of the things you were talking about earlier in this interview. So once again, thank Just, you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I also time. want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.